Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. I need to apologize for how I sound. My whole family is fighting off a cold. If you follow the podcast on Twitter, you saw that I even mentioned yesterday, hey, we're taking the week off so I can recover so I don't have to subject you to this uh, nasty voice you're hearing right now. So sorry about that. I felt the need to jump on and do something because Today I learned about the passing of my friend Abel Wang, who was a developer advocate at Microsoft. I call him my friend. We only got to spend a very short time knowing one another. Uh, he was a guest previously on the podcast during GDC 2018, courtesy of Microsoft. And, uh, you know, we, we stayed in touch on Twitter. Just cheery guy, optimistic, friendly, uh, charming guy who's very cool guy. And uh, I know that everybody who met him considered him a friend and I'm no different. He, uh, after we spoke in 2018, I understand he was diagnosed with colon cancer, which is, you know, what a nightmare that condition is. And he fought it. He was cancer free at one point in 2019. He, he was this incredible guitarist and his treatment apparently damaged his hands. And I followed as he relearned guitar and became incredible at guitar again. Like he was such an inspiring guy in so many ways. You'll, you'll hear in the interview as, as I replay it here shortly, he and Jessica Dean did a lot of events and a lot of presentations together, and they're both complete IT badasses. You'll hear how I'm barely able to keep up with them. I have no idea what they're talking about nearly the entire time. And I had been a developer 15 good years by the time we spoke. And that was how surface level they had to keep it with me. They could have gone much deeper on many topics. And I could just barely hang in. So we tried to make it entertaining for the listener and, uh, you know, get their points across. And I sounded like a total fool. But uh, it was it was still a pleasure to speak with them, hang out with them for uh, parts of that week, go to uh, Microsoft company dinner with them. Uh, it was it was very cool overall. And uh, he it was such an honor to know him. I'm sure many, many people are uh, uh, having very difficult feelings uh, right now. How could you not? He was such an optimistic guy and I want to keep it positive in his memory. I want this to be a celebration of his life. And I, I listened back to the first few minutes of our talk and I knew right away that it was worth resharing because I mean, immediately after we start talking, he's talking about how much, you know, he loves what he does, how he wouldn't change a thing about it. And I thought, God, you know, how many people really get to feel that way about their life's work? And uh, so that was inspiring also. So I wanted to hopefully share that in hopes that that will bring people some comfort and uh, help them in remembering uh, the good about Abel's life, which there was a ton of good. I understand from a, a post from his wife on Facebook that he was also an incredible spouse, an incredible mentor to their daughter. Uh, she has asked that people consider... Uh, if they want to do anything in memory of Abel, that they uh, check out and support the uh, Girls Who Code organization, which is a fantastic organization uh, in his memory. So uh, do consider that. Uh, if you're if you're not aware, I mean, colon cancer is a nightmare, and it's uh, I understand it's increasing at earlier ages. So uh, people approaching the traditional age ranges where they start screenings and stuff. I mean, be current on your medical. Uh, uh, health, you know, keep tabs of, of your situation, be in touch with your doctor about, you know, when the time is to start uh, watching for that stuff. And let me just encourage you to be aware of that horrible condition as well. Um, I, not too much else I, I can say other than, uh, you know, 
he will be missed. He was a fantastic guy and uh, we love and we miss you, buddy. Thank you for everything. to start the show no that's not who i am at all <laughs> but uh, okay uh jessica dean and abel wing how you guys doing thanks for uh joining me for a podcast recording thanks yep. for having us man. yeah yeah uh you guys enjoying gdc absolutely yeah there's it's pretty incredible it, there's nothing quite like this i agree i have not done uh, gdc before i have not gotten to take in too much because we've been doing recording but it's been just a total blast all week so uh jessica why don't you tell us about yourself first for a minute and uh then we'll have abel do the same Perfect. Uh, well, my name is Jessica Dean. No relation to James Dean, which means my last name is spelt with two E's. You can follow <laughs> me on Twitter, GitHub, Instagram at JL Dean, again, D-E-E-N. And I am a cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. What that means is I, tr- I literally get to travel the world and talk to people about code and technology that I'm passionate about. Awesome. My background is Linux, open source, container orchestration, so specifically Kubernetes, uh, and then DevOps, which kind of the other aforementioned I'll play into. Sure. And then prior to that, I was actually a Linux systems integration engineer. Yeah, my background is kind of all outside of Microsoft, but getting to come here and play well with Linux and open source tools with Azure and VSTS and, and all these other Microsoft-owned products has been just a really fun time. That has been a big theme that I've noticed this week. It's been a lot of people who have uh, varied backgrounds and things that Microsoft maybe didn't have as much of, and that's their means of adding that to the family, which is extremely cool. So, uh, yeah. Abel, how about yourself? My name is Abel, and everybody can follow me on all social media. I'm under at Abel Squidhead. Long story about that name. <laughs> I need to be really drunk to tell it. Fair enough. (laughs) Maybe later. Yeah, yeah, I'm a cloud developer advocate, too. And my background is I write code. I love writing code. I eat, drink, live writing code. I'm one of those people. Awesome. So my running joke is if I won the lottery today, I would not be working for Microsoft tomorrow. But I would still be writing code (laughs) because that's what I love. Sure. Very cool. So uh, you guys... Uh, did a presentation today, is that right? That's mm-hmm. correct. How'd it go? Tell me, give me the highlights. So I think it went really well. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, we actually had a lot of really good questions at the end, cool. which usually when you do have good questions in Q&A, uh, that means that people were engaged throughout the, the session itself. So we were, we were able to really kind of demo DevOps for game developers and show why it's valuable. Sure. I'll give Abel. Yeah, and I think it's really cool too because most gamers, they, they, I don't think they're or game developers, they're not really thinking about DevOps. Yeah. Right. And for us to be able to show them, no, really, DevOps is not just for enterprise application, applications. If you're writing code, you're going to need to compile it. Mm-hmm. If you're writing code, you're going to need to track your work. You're going to need to automatically take those build bits and deploy them somewhere, right? Sure. So look at what Microsoft can do to help you. We are not just the Microsoft stack anymore, any language targeting any platform. So that, that message really resonated in the room. And, and I didn't know how it was going to land because this isn't your traditional Microsoft-centric type crowd. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a funny thing to mention because and I should uh, specify the presentation was called DevOps for Game Developers with Microsoft Azure. Um, it's true because when, when I first spoke to Microsoft about being a GDC, capturing some of the uh, uh, speakers, for uh, for my audience, it was 
they said, there's going to be a lot of DevOps stuff and live ops stuff. And I said, okay, great. That sounds really good. And then I went to Google to find out what those things are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a studio founder with a ship game myself, but small teams, it's, it's not always the first thing on the list. So correct. Uh, I, I'm guessing as you guys spoke to people, you, ha- you saw kind of, kind of a lot of those light bulbs going off and those aha moments, you know? <laughs> Well, because I think for, especially for game developers, and especially if you're writing something that's designed to, like if you're a cross-platform developer, you're having to take what you're building and distribute that somewhere. You have bits. And if you're doing it manually, and you're manually trying to, let's say you have a native Windows app, and you're trying to manually push it over to an FTP server, you're trying to push it to Steam, or you have a Unity app, or you have iOS or Android, and you're manually submitting these processes, that's taking a lot of time away from what you actually love doing, which is writing code and developing games. But if you're able to implement these practices and put in place a pipeline with version control and with build that'll handle all this for you and then handle your release off into the various environments, all you have to focus on is writing your code, get push, and then the systems will take care of your compiling and your testing and your release. Now, you guys are both traditionally probably a little more focused on enterprise groups and, you know, just larger, larger teams. Uh, what, what do you think is maybe part of the, the pain points of sort of shifting mindset to reach for these enterprise things as, as a smaller group? How do you find that people uh, sort of perform in that situation? for smaller groups trying to reach the enterprise? Well, uh, uh, poorly phrased. I, I guess as a smaller team that is trying to grasp those those best practices for much larger groups, yeah. um, what, what are some of those pain points? We all have the same pain points when we're writing code. Right? Mm. At the end of the day, it is just code. So we need to be able to, like I said earlier, we need to be able to figure out what we're going to be building we need to be able to compile our bits and we need to be able to take those bits and deploy them somewhere, do something with them. Sure. And we need this process to be repeatable and consistent every single time, right? If I can build out an automated pipeline to, to handle all of this, it makes my life as a dev, whether I'm in a small indie game dev team, right? Mm-hmm. Or a gigantic enterprise, it makes my life so much easier. We're now like Jessica said, if all we need to do is commit and push and everything else is taken care of for us, we're able to have that whole, we're able to continuously deliver value, right? We don't have to worry about deploying. We just need to track our work, check our code in, and everything is taken care of. So if we can get that mindset across to, if it's a small team, it's an easier group to convince. Devs, it's pretty easy to convince devs. Yeah. You show them, they're like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. In the large enterprises, that gets rough, right? Because then you're talking about changing culture. You're talking about maybe management is still stuck in the waterfall world. And now you're telling them, yeah, your Gantt charts don't mean anything. And their heads explode, right? So so I love talking to these small indie dev uh, uh, developers. They're, they're, They're much more receptive. Once the light bulb goes off, they're like, cool, let's do this. And sometimes I think it's harder to talk to um, operations even on a smaller scale because coming from an IT and operations background, we like control. We like that we have our servers. And I control this, and I I control this dev environment, I control this QA, I control prod. As a developer, Abel can hand me code, and old school world, I would RDP or SCP over into the server and deploy it into dev and QA and prod. But as we talked about, that by implementing CI or continuous integration or continuous deployment, you're implementing something that's repeatable. The old school world is those servers might change. So his code might work on dev and QA 
QA, but what happens if somebody else pushed an update to prod, I push his code, and now it doesn't work. So oftentimes trying to convince us of that, that DevOps would be a good idea, we're still in this mindset of, no, I have to control it because I know what works and I don't want you to break it. It's, it's broken before. Whereas if you are able to put these processes in place that are repeatable, that are consistent, I don't care what environment it's going to because I know that it's going to work every single time. <laughs> and I have unit tests and I have post, pre and post deployment approvals that are in place that by the time it hits prod, there's no question in my mind that it's going to work. Cool. And, and uh, Abel brought up a good point. You know, for a small group, you're sort of able to go like, would you like your life to be easier or not so much? Yes, of course, please. Right. Any, anything we can do. A lot of what you guys are uh, presenting has to do with platform flexibility between tools and, and uh, systems. And do you, do you find that sort of across the board, a lot of the development tools are uh, incorporating a lot of this stuff better. I mean, we've, I've talked to people who have uh, given me different examples of how uh, Visual Studio has better Git control and, you know, Unity is starting to do some of the same stuff. Like, are you finding that the actual different tools are evolving in this direction? Dev tools are always evolving, right? So <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm old as dirt. So I remember when I first started writing code, it was VI just a plain, simple code editor. Mm -hmm. And then I started using Emacs, and ooh, you can start adding all sorts of coolness, right? Yeah. But it was still relatively painful compared to the tools that we have today. Um, I think it went a little overboard uh, with extremely heavy IDEs that could do everything under the sun. Yeah. And that was cool, but all of a sudden, your IDE would take forever to run and load, and it just got so incredibly heavy. And we started shifting recently the other direction, right, with things like Visual Studio Code, which is just a lightweight editor, and now you can install exactly what you need, and that's it. So it's fast. And, and there are so many devs that, like me, I like to fall into the command line and do a lot of my stuff. That's just the sure. workflow that a lot of devs do. And so now we have tools that cater to that instead of that all-encompassing, super heavy IDE that does absolutely everything for you and hides away a lot of the, quote, mystery. But that's the type of stuff that I need as a dev. Right? So the tools are evolving. I love the direction that we're going now. And I think even more so just with the evolving overall from a, a conceptual basis, when he mentioned Visual Studio Code, Abel and I have vastly different backgrounds. He, <laughs> he bleeds blue. He's very much Microsoft. And mine, coming from Linux and open source, I can use Visual Studio Code on my Mac. He can use it on his Windows system. He can have an integrated terminal with PowerShell and test his code, and I can have Bash right into my Visual Studio Code uh, instance. And when we do Git push, he can push to VSTS. I can push to Jenkins if I want, or VSTS, or CodeFresh, or any tool that I want, because it's just a Git repo. I can even, right from working in VS Code, push to my Git repo in VSTS. The power that we're given now with these tools and with this evolution really allows us to choose what works best for us, as opposed to, again, this one giant tool that's going to prepack everything, be a lot slower, and perhaps give me things that I don't really need, that don't pertain to my workflow, my development, or my preference. So I'm able to take these tools that have evolved and custom tailor it for my environment, but the same tool can be custom tailored for Abel's environment or your environment. Which is, of course, what devs want to do, right? We all want to have our own custom little environment and do things the way we like it. Yep. It's absolutely true because, I mean, we know that, I know I've gone into a, a position as a front-end developer mm -hmm. working, you know, myself being the only one, and then working with a lot of uh, .NET guys and, and 
focused on those other things that, well, you have to use our tool set, and you have to use it exactly in our configuration, and it's on this disk, and here you go. Right. And that's not really the best feeling in the world. Nothing against those tools. It's just not really... Uh, tailored to my situation and I think the more flexibility you have with that it's a big deal. Yeah, you know? I, I love the direction we're going now. I do too and again the more flexibility you have the more productivity you have. If you yeah. use tools that are native and in, I guess innate to you and your workflow you can produce code much faster and it's the same tool set that somebody else is using you just have it tailored to your needs versus theirs. Yeah, if, if I'm looking for uh, source control uh, buttons, basically, and I'm having to Google them every time, it's uh, n not a good <laughs> feeling. Where are these again? Right. It's like, I know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Um, what are some of the good questions you guys heard after the presentation today? One question that really surprised me was, uh, so coming from, again, container orchestration, I did not expect to be asked about container orchestration or Docker images at uh, GDC at Game Developer Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, and so actually that was one of the questions is VSTS is, because we demoed VSTS in our session, so it's great and it's cool that we can tie this into Monogame and Unity and even like a Node app with Azure Functions. We have hosted agents, which are computers that we give you to handle your builds. It can be Windows, it could be Linux, it could be Mac. So there's a lot of really great tools, but the question was, can you do this for Docker? And the answer is yes. You Because we have a task runner, essentially, for either builds or releases, you can use a Docker task to build and push your image, and you can push it to any public or private repository. It doesn't have to be something in Azure. You could use Docker, you could use Quay, you could use JFrog Artifactory. It really doesn't matter as long as you have the credentials. And then you could even do things into, like you can deploy that same image over into Kubernetes or into Azure App Service or into Azure Container Instances. It was a really unique question because again, coming from like a game developer's mindset, I know there's a lot of configuration that you have to go through into setting up your environment and adding all these runtimes and adding all these additional tools for your game. Sure. But it was really kind of cool to kind of get that question because it, the wheels are kind of turning. Can you take that, which all the Docker image is, is an encapsulated runtime environment. Can you take all these tools that's necessary for your game and your environment and create essentially the perfect game development build image that then you can use for your development? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. And you can use VSTS for that. Cool. One of the coolest questions I got, actually, was talking about pipeline as code. But mm -hmm. to have somebody ask about pipeline as code at GDC, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. But clearly they understood what they were talking. I mean, we were showing VSTS and we were showing the build and release pipeline. It's a visual editor, a visual tool. You can drag and drop, right? And, and that's all great. And the guy was like, that's fine, but is there a way to save your build pipeline and store it in source control? And I was like, pipeline as, as a matter of fact, I'm so glad you asked because you can. Nice. You can totally store this as a YAML file, right? Pipeline as code is coming with, uh, with our release pipelines as well. So that was fun to hear. So the, you know, the proof is that people are already grappling with this and already sort of reaching in, yes. in different directions to look for this stuff. Um, how, how can uh, smaller teams set themselves up for this from the beginning? I mean, like, how can they try to set themselves up for these best practices? All they need to do is go to visualstudio.com, create a subscription to, to VSTS. It's free, right? It's, everything is totally free, and they can just start using it. And the best part is, is for when they do sign up with Visual Studio and you get access to Git, we give you Git repositories, and we give you unlimited free Git repositories. Yeah. It's hard to beat that. Unlimited yeah. private repos. Yeah, sorry. Right. 
Yep. That's a big deal. That's it's a usually, huge deal. That is a big deal. Now, are you guys already working with game studio teams on, on any regular basis, or are you uh, sort of in tune with that community already? Is it a focus for the future? I mean, tell me about that. It's a focus for in the future, right? So, so at least within our team, we haven't really touched the game community much. Mm-hmm. But after this conference, I definitely want to be involved a lot more. I think um, in the game development world, they're just starting to think about DevOps, right? There's still a lot of people that are like, okay, I'm just going to build it on my machine. I'm going to create a zip file. I'm going to manually take this and and put it to where I need to, fill out a web form, upload it, and it's a very, very manual intensive process that's happening off of their laptop or their whatever uh, development machine that they're using. And I get why they're in that they're they're doing that, but I, the light bulb is just starting to come. Right, you can see the gears moving when we're talking. That they're like, wait, there's a better way that we can do this. Yeah, and I definitely want to be a lot more involved with with studios and and with the community in general. Sure. I do too, and I know the VSTS team specifically has also been uh, talking with with Unity when it comes down to doing Unity builds using VSTS. Prior to joining the CDA team, I was on the tech evangelism team at Microsoft, and we have quite a few game developers there, and I've actually, even at this conference, gotten to reconnect with a bunch of them, so it's been nice to see some faces, Sure. but we've actually been talking about, okay, after this conference, let's sit down and really kind of hear your workflow, your process, and then really try to custom tailor these kinds of practices to something that's easy for you to get started. Mm -hmm. We work on a team where we want to have the fastest way to get started with good, and not just good, with the best DevOps practices for your workflow. And Donovan Brown, our boss actually, wrote a tool called Team. And so we have, it's, it's a command line tool. It's the fastest way to get started with VSTS and Azure. You can quickly uh, set up a full pipeline for a variety of different applications and a variety of different endpoints. But we don't have anything in there for things like games. And so personally, like the wheels are turning in my brain. It would be great to whatever your use case is, to have that fast path of here's how you get started to quickly learn about these principles and set something up to where you can start implementing this even in your one-person or three-person indie development team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the end goal ultimately is going to be with just a couple of command line commands, I want to be able to create a full end-to-end pipeline for whatever technology that I'm using yeah. and hopefully into Azure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's Microsoft's end goal is we all roads lead to Azure. Sure. Um, but we'll help enable whatever it is. So, so if it's Unity, if it's Unreal, if it doesn't matter what it is, the end goal is the same. I, I want to be able to give devs the power so that just a couple commands from the command line, that full pipeline is just built out for them. Yeah. And it really, again, it, it empowers them to focus on what they love to do and what they're best at doing, and it takes the bottleneck of having to do all the other manual heroic efforts, it takes that away. And so all they can focus on is writing their code, checking it into source control and pushing it, and that's literally it. And then they don't have to worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. One person I talked to this week was uh, Kali Hitala from Next Games, who uh, did the Walking Dead No Man's Land with almost entirely on top of Azure services and stuff like that. So uh, something that stood out to me was how important this is as, as games start to move from one-and-done releases to these ongoing 
online, uh, very long-term things that keep building and building and changing. And, you know, you, you're doing updates and maybe you don't want to do an update, but you do want to change the game. And he's, he seemed like that, that really made a ton of difference in terms of flexibility. You know, they've, they've got the data they need. They've got the, the options they need. And I, I had never heard of anyone else saying, like, we have multiple versions of our game running concurrently. So if you haven't updated it, no problem. You know, uh, it sounded like a challenge on his end, of course, just from a, a development standpoint. But the sure. fact that they were able to do it was really impressive. So I think as the smaller teams start to go from the one-and-done games to games as a service uh, or, or whatever you, you please, uh, this stuff is going to be essential. You know? It's going to be absolutely vital, right? And if, if you look at just games in general, but also apps in general, they need to be continuously delivering value, right? Yeah. They're constantly evolving, constantly changing. And I think it really started, at least for the general public, once we all started using smartphones. And apps are being updated all the time. Yeah. So we expect that now. If you give me an app, and it might be absolutely fantastic, but it never gets updated, it never innovates. My first thought is abandoned. I'm going to yep. find an app that does the same thing, but is innovating faster, doing more cool things. Oh, give me more value. Uninstall, install a new one, right? And we expect that from our games now, too, where it's no longer just a one and done. There's going to be new downloadable content. There's going to be new... Th it always has to be constantly delivering new value, better value for your end users. So it's vital. This whole DevOps practices, it's vital in the enterprise, and it's also vital in the game world. Yeah. Yep. Not, not theoretical, but uh, here and present now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In the here and now. This, this is reality. A big theme of GDC so far has been uh, more stability for the industry and the importance of uh, you know people being able to count on their their jobs on an ongoing basis and you know value from their career personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. um, and something I kind of um, kind of asked our uh, our friend uh, James Gwertzman from Playfab about was you know do you think that as as these back end services and and these projects take off this way. Uh, you know, don't you think since you're relying on, you know, time-honored practices and things that have been perfected outside the game industry, isn't this a way to sort of introduce some stability to the game industry? Because now we're, we're relying on the insight and, the, you know, the, the knowledge of uh, decades now, instead of going like, well, this worked in the 90s on the Super Nintendo, <laughs> and uh, we don't know how it's going to work on the Xbox, but now it seems like we're able to sort of tap into something much uh, more stable. Well, I think the biggest thing is, is when you compare the two different worlds, like the past and then the present, is previously the systems that you put in place and the hardware you got, everything was purpose-built just for that project. And yeah. even the processes were customized for that project, for that game, for that application, right? Now everything is standardized. So when you have something that's standardized across the board, standardized processes and standardized hardware and industry standard hardware regardless of what the application is, whether it's a game or just another piece of software, it's, it is that stable and repeatable and, and kind of reproducible artifact, right? You, you have something that's stable because it's tried and true and it's going to work the same over here as it's going to work for that company as it's going to work for the next company. And it's constantly evolving and growing and you're building on top of, again, like you said, decades worth of knowledge and growth. Yeah, and a big part of it is process, yep. right? Sure. If you look at traditionally the game development world, especially with indie game devs, you just dive in there and you just start coding like a madman. You've got these fantastic ideas. Maybe you and your friends get together and you're just slamming code out yeah. as fast as you possibly can. Source control, 
Maybe. Maybe, right? Right? <laughs> which, is, which is fine when you're first starting out, but as the industry evolves and as the industry becomes more mature and they realize that, wow, it's not just a one and done like you were saying. Mm-hmm. You need to start following processes that make sense. And I don't want to impose too much process where it's just hell for a developer to work in. But you need to have enough processes in place. Like we said earlier, things need to be repeatable and consistent. Right? Yeah. And, and by having that, we can move faster and deliver more value. Yeah, and on the game industry side, we, we've seen a few stories recently about a studio who said, like, we wanted to re-release our game from 2005, and we can't because we don't have the code anymore. Yep. Yep. Or, uh, you know, we found the code, and we can't do anything with it. Yep. So that is actually very sad, you know? It's, it, it's very sad. Yeah. But if, if they were implementing DevOps best practices, their code would be sitting in source control. Yeah. The infrastructure that runs their code would be infrastructure as code, so it would be stored in source control right alongside their source code. If they have databases that need schemas or anything like that, it would also sit in source control so everything is versioned together. So all they would need to do is say, get from this point in time, everything would be in one place, and bam, they can deploy everything and everything's done. Yep. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what having DevOps practices can give you, that type of ability. And as a player first, I, I appreciate the idea of a studio being able to go back, yeah. revisit an old project, not have to code it from the ground up and go, uh, we want to give you some more value from this. Like, yeah, bring it on. You know, yep. seems yep, great. Yep. So uh, in, in closing, are there any resources you guys like for actually learning DevOps, uh, not necessarily for a, a game developer, but just for uh, learning uh, the, the best practices? There are so many resources. Um, if you go to Channel 9, there's a whole Microsoft DevOps channel. Mm -hmm. And all we do is talk about, not just we, but a whole bunch of people, all we do is talk about DevOps, DevOps practices. Uh, Damian Brady has his own DevOps Labs show that talks about these uh, DevOps principles as well. We all have blogs, both Jessica, me, Donovan, everybody in our team. Uh, a quick Google search, you can find us, and, and there's just so much material. Cool. And then I, I mentioned earlier also, if you actually want to kind of put some of these practices or learn from kind of what other people are doing, what Donovan wrote, Yo Team, he kind of wrote for that for that purpose. A few mm -hmm. simple like yes or no questions, you fill in the details, it will build you out a full end-to-end -end pipeline depending on what kind of app you're deploying. So if you want to write a .NET Core app or a Node app and you want to push that into Azure App Service or ACI or um, there's, there's a handful of uh, particular endpoints that are supported at this time, but it will build out a full end-to-end -end pipeline with good DevOps practices already in place for that application. Mm -hmm. So you can go back and take a look at the right way to do things, kind of put your own code in, and kind of play by actually having a real live almost lab, is what I would say, right. at your fingertips that you can set up in less than four minutes. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would encourage people to uh, check out your presentation, which I, I'm, if it's not online already, I'm sure it will be very soon, as, as all the videos from GDC are. But also to uh, follow Jessica Dean and Abel Wang on uh, social media, uh, check out their Microsoft uh, material, and uh, thank you guys both so much. This has been, I think this is going to help a lot of people get their uh, minds in the right place and uh, hopefully improve their projects in the future. So thank you. Very cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you very much. All right.
as always, if you enjoyed the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe through iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Player FM. There's an unlimited number of ways to uh, follow the show, so please do that. Reach out to us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, and we will be back with more great stuff all week from GDC. So thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.